Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We're on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Jalani Tulo, Amanda Machaka and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, Zulu King Goodwill Zuelitini has challenged South Africa's ruling ANC members and leaders to deal with divisions. 31,000 grade 1 and 8 applicants are yet to be placed in Gauteng schools and the UN agency has registered thousands of refugees arriving in Chad. In economics news, Zambia shut three of South African retailer ShopRite's Hungry Lion fast food restaurants after their food tested positive for the bacterium that causes cholera. And in sports news, rain prevents play at Newlands in Cape Town. But first up, the news with Dralani Tulo. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Sudanese security agents have seized all copies of six newspapers on Sunday after they criticized the government over soaring bread prices that have almost doubled this week. Discontent has been simmering over the past few days as bread prices jumped on the back of a sharp rise in the cost of flour after a government decision to shift importing of wheat to private sector companies. Several newspapers have criticized the decision concerning wheat imports, while the country's opposition groups called for nationwide demonstrations against the price rise. Editor of Agba Awatan, Handi Al-Siddiq, says no reason was given for the confiscating newspapers. Meanwhile, there have been protests in parts of Sudan. The demonstrations, which began on Saturday on the south of the country, have now spread to the capital Khartoum. The BBC's Grant Ferret has more. In Khartoum, police used tear gas to disperse protesters who burned tyres and blocked roads. There were similar clashes in cities in the south and west of Sudan. In West Darfur, a student demonstrator was killed and a number of others were hurt. A junior interior minister denied that the protests were in response to price rises. He warned that destructive demonstrators would be dealt with forcefully. The authorities have already tried to restrict reporting of the disturbances. Two Zimbabwean ex-ministers who served in former President Robert Mugabe's government are out on bail, facing charges of criminal abuse of office and corruption. Former Foreign Affairs Minister Walter Mzembe and former Energy Minister Semelo Dengue appeared in court after their arrest on Friday. Bail for Mzembe was set at $400 and for Udenge at $300. Several ministers from Mugabe's government have been arrested, mainly on corruption charges since the military forced the 93-year-old veteran leader to step down in November. Nigeria says it will be evacuating hundreds of its citizens from Libya who travelled there with the aim of migrating to Europe. Nigeria's Foreign Minister Geoffrey Onyeme, who is visiting Libya, says two planes have been chartered to repatriate 800 people over the next few days. A recent report revealed that some Nigerians in Libya were being sold at slave auctions. Onyema says many have endured traumatic experiences. 
There were complaints that were raised with us about abuse, you know, and some disappearances of people being taken from camps to go and work. But the main objective is to get these Nigerian citizens back home as quickly as possible. And finally, U.S. President Donald Trump's former chief strategist, Steve Bannon, has sought to explain some comments he made to a journalist in a controversial new book about the Trump presidency. In the book, Fire and Fury, Bannon describes a meeting between the president's son, Donald Trump Jr., and a group of Russians as treasonous and unpatriotic. But Bannon now says his remark was aimed at Trump's former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, and not Trump's son. The BBC's David Willis has more. Bannon is an ambitious man, and this is an extraordinary climb down for someone who was credited with steering Donald Trump to victory. But it's perhaps that ambition that's prompted him to do it, uh, because he's even floated the possibility in the past of running for president himself. It's clear that we haven't seen the last of him, but he has undoubtedly come to the conclusion that in order to fulfill his ambitions, he needs Donald Trump. For Channel Africa... I'm Cholani Tulo. Thank you, Jalan. It's 8.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. South Africa's ruling African National Congress turns 106 years old today with its president expected to deliver the party's annual January 8th statement this weekend in the Eastern Cape. The first delivery of the much-talked-about ANC January 8th statement was in 1972 by then-President Oliver Reginald Tambo to celebrate the ANC's 60th anniversary. It was a call to action to and to get freedom fighters to intensify the armed struggle. Tambo used the occasion to intensify the struggle for non-racialism and a democratic South Africa and newly elected ANC President Sil Ramaphosa will use his inaugural speech to call for unity. Debo Mugobo looks at the history of the January 8th statement from Tambo to Ramaphosa. The ANC still remains one of the world's oldest liberation movements at 106 years old today and since its inception in 1912 it had good and tough times. The 1960s were the tough times for the ANC with almost its entire leadership either in exile or in prison. All this put more pressure on the leadership to keep the ideals of the liberation movement alive and to give hope to the oppressed masses that their freedom will soon be realized. The period between the 1960s and the 1970s was the height of the apartheid brutality and repression and on the occasion of the ANC's 60th anniversary in 1972 it was an historic milestone in the history of the ANC. The movement and its leadership used the occasion to call on freedom fighters, MK combatants in particular, to intensify the struggle for freedom. Since 1972, the late ANC president Oliver Reginald Tambo would read out the January 8th statement on behalf of the party's National Executive Committee.
difficulties, our people in South Africa will be totally liberated. Please, carry on. The struggle is on. And as the call for freedom and the armed struggle intensified, the 1986 January 8th statement became the rallying call for people to render the apartheid system unworkable and its government ungovernable. Tambo's well-crafted statement themed the year of the Kader saw campaigns like consumer boycotts aimed at crippling the country's economy. We are witnessing the beginning of the end of the apartheid system, provided that the struggle is not left to Zambia and Zimbabwe, the frontline states, Africa and the non-aligned movement, but that all those peoples in the world who have genuinely expressed hatred of this system, who have been outraged by the crime against humanity, will not hold back, but will join in now so that there is one mass international drive to end apartheid once and for all. Police brutality against anti-apartheid protesters drew international condemnation, leading heightened trade and diplomatic sanctions against apartheid South Africa. And in 1988, the ANC's January 8th statement theme was a year of united action for people's power. This coincided with an international campaign for the release of Nelson Mandela. And the year 1990 was a milestone in the history of the liberation movements in the country, resulting in Mandela's release the return of exiles and the unbending of the ANC and other political parties like the PAC and Azapo. And when Mandela took over as party president in 1991, he themed his January 8th statement ready to govern, a prophecy realized when he led the ANC into government in 1994. It is most appropriate that it is at our 50th national conference that we are able to make these remarks. Actually, you have already acted what I was going to say. All that remains for me to say is that the struggle continues. Victory is settled. Among Zangawe too. The tradition of the annual January 8th statement continued from Tambo to Mandela, Tabombeki to Jacob Zuma and now Cyril Ramaphosa. The Tabombeki presidency in 1997 focused on consolidating what the party called people's power. The message from the movement as a whole, and that message is that the revolution has not been completed. And Beggy was revered for presiding over the best economic boom in recent time as ANC president. This helped South Africa to escape the 2008 global economic downturn. In 2007, Jacob Zuma took over as party president. And three years later, he led the country in welcoming the world for the first ever FIFA World Cup in the African continent. The ANC theme 2010 as a year of working together to speed up effective service delivery to the people, as then party president Jacob Zuma elaborates. We go to elections happy with progress that has been made in many areas in our country. The lives of millions have improved. The services provided by municipalities have reduced poverty and restored dignity to our people. We acknowledge and celebrate these achievements. South Africa is indeed a better place 
than it was 21 years ago. And as the 13th president of the ANC, Cyril Ramaphosa will present the party's 41st January 8th statement in East London on Saturday. The people of our country want an ANC that lives up to its promise and is true to its mission. They want an ANC that uses public office not to serve vested interests, but to build a truly developmental state. As we leave this conference, we are resolved to humble ourselves, to respect our people, but also to earn their respect. And for the past 45 years, the annual January 8th statement address has been seen as a statement of intent by the governing party. It is used to map out the ANC's key priorities for the year. It also influences the state of the nation address and the country's national budget. The governing party's key priorities then get translated into government program of action for the year ahead. I am Debumokobe in Johannesburg. Zulu King Goodwill Zuelitini has challenged South Africa's ruling ANC members and leaders to deal with divisions that played out leading to the party's 54th National Elective Conference in December. The Zulu monarch urged them to unite during a courtesy visit at his Osutu residence in KwaZulu-Natal by the party's top six leaders, including President Sil Ramaphosa. They also reported to His Majesty on the outcome of the conference. Vusima Kosini report. It was an attempt by the Zulu king to try and facilitate peace between rival ANC members and leaders to smoke the peace pipe. King Goodwill asked ANC top leaders and the party's government provincial leaders, including provincial chairperson Sisis Galala and former provincial chairperson Senzum Thun, to shake hands and extend an olive branch to each other. The king called on Ramaphosa to lead by example and embrace even those members who didn't want him elected as ANC president. With these words, Mr. President Ramaphosa, I want to draw your attention during this time of transition of leadership. First to the point that you have enormous responsibility on your shoulders. The passing of of a baton from one to the next is an important milestone. An exemplary to the whole continent where we have seen the shedding of innocent people's blood. Due to leaders either fighting or failing, but allow me to remind you that the forebears of this glorious movement from Dr. J.L. Dube, Mr. S.M. Mahato, Mr. Z. Aru Mahabane, Mr. T.J. Kumede, Dr. Prixley Kaisagaseme, today the whole country looks up to you. The king also called on the newly elected ANC leaders to never abandon the ANC's commitment towards the poor. He also called the new leadership to move at speed in the implementation of ANC policies adopted at the party's 54th National Conference. Majority of our people still place their hope and future on the ANC. These are people whose land to date has not been returned except the very small portion. Following our 54th National Conference resolutions, which amongst others is the state bank and the expropriation of land without compensation. We look to you, Mr. President, to help implement this with speed. While Ramaphosa committed the newly elected leadership to deal with internal divisions within the ruling party, 
He reiterated that the ruling party will implement the conference resolution of land expropriation without compensation. So this is a program that we dub a program of renewal, a program of unity. We are very pleased, Your Majesty, that the drive of the African National Congress this year being renewal and unity commences here in KZN under your auspices as our majesty. In the last 23 years, we have not seen the type of progress that we want to see on the land issue, on the redistribution of land and getting our people back to the land. This conference, we decided that we are now going to return the land to our people. We are going to expropriate land without compensation. We also said that this must be based on looking at the economic activity in our country that as we take land, we do not harm the economy, we do not harm, we do not sacrifice food security. Meanwhile, the ANC's top leadership presented the king with three Angkole Watusi cattle, a Kenya's Maasai Pridu. Today, the ANC's top leadership will pay homage to the late presidents of the ANC, including Josiah Kumete, Inkos Albelutuli, and Dr. John Langalibale For SABC, I am Vusima Kosini Nongoma. It's 8.17 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. With just over a week before the start of the new school year on the 17th, 31,000 grade 1 and 8 applicants are yet to be placed in Gauteng schools in South Africa. They include 14,000 late applications from a group of 22,000. The other 17,000 applied on time but have not accepted placement offers at their second or third choices because their first choice schools were full. Gauteng Education MEC Pangazali Sufi revealed this as he briefed the media on his department's readiness for the new school year in Johannesburg. Wisani Makubele has more. MEC Panyazali Sufi says this coming weekend will be dedicated to placing the 31,000 applicants before schools open on the 17th. He appealed to parents to visit their nearest districts or admission centers to try and finalize the process. The centers will be open between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Lisufi says it's unfortunate that a lot of parents are not accepting placement offers elsewhere because they wanted a particular school. What we have done as a department, we've placed them in their second or third choices or where there is availability. And since we have done that, majority of parents have not accepted those schools. They're leaving the entire system hanging. But on the 13th and the 14th, if you don't come, on the 17th, all the offers that we've given you will fall off. And now we are bringing the, the 22,000 that have applied late to then occupy those places. Lisufi says his department is overwhelmed with a high number of applications and urges those still thinking of bringing their children to Gauteng to consider other provinces. Those that will be coming to Gauteng for the first time, unfortunately I've got bad news for you. We are only going to record you, we are not going to place you until we are finished with this 31,000. 
At the same time, almost 30 Gauteng schools may not be ready for learning and teaching on the first day of school. Computers and other equipment were stolen during break-ins at at least four schools over the festive season. About 25 other schools were damaged by storms in recent weeks. The cost of repairing those schools is estimated at 140 million rand. Lesufi also expressed concern that volunteer school patrollers were under attack. There are three or four schools that might not start on day one. Because criminals have stolen computers, they've stolen everything that you need to have uh, education. The second problem that we have is that we're hit by two storms. The last storm that we just had, we've got a list of schools that have just circulated. These schools are not going to be ready. The last part is that we've got almost seven of our patrollers that were shot, attacked, and those patrollers were hospitalized. Uh, it's a trend that is worrying and very disturbing. Meanwhile, the department has disputed recent media reports that it has been retrenching teachers. HOD Edward Mosuwe says teachers were merely redeployed to schools that have increased their learner numbers. How think Department of Education is not retrenching not even a single teacher. There are additional 500 new vacant posts that have been made available to help us absorb and deal with new pressures that may arise. But here's what had happened in the process. Where schools have lost or their enrollments have gone down. We will have to take those teachers and take them and redeploy them to where learner numbers would have gone up. And that is the whole story about post-provisioning. Lisufi says trade union solidarity has threatened to take the department to court over the redeployment of teachers. And let me confirm that we received a, a, a very threatening letter from one organization that calls itself Solidarity, that they want to take us to court on this matter. And my message is very simple. Bring it on. We are ready for you. We are not going to be scared or be threatened by people who believe that only the privileged few must get educators. Those that don't have enough educators, they must not be given the necessary support uh, in terms of additional educators. So there are schools in a privileged area that the numbers have dwindled. So we are going to remove educators there and take them to where the numbers have increased. That's natural justice. And that was Gauteng Education MEC Banyazali Sufi ending that report by Wisani Makubele in Johannesburg. It's 8.22 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. U.S. media mogul. Oprah Winfrey has brought the audience to their feet with a rousing speech at the Golden Globes Film and Television Awards ceremony underway in Los Angeles. She is the winner of this year's Cecil B. DeMille Award for Outstanding Contributions to the World of Entertainment. As the first black woman to get the award, she had powerful words to say about abuse. I'd like to thank the Hollywood Foreign Press Association because we all know that the press is under siege these days. But we also know that it is the insatiable dedication to uncovering the absolute truth that keeps us from turning a blind eye to corruption and to injustice. (laughs) To, To tyrants and victims and secrets and lies. I want to say that I value the press more than ever before, 
as we try to navigate these complicated times, which brings me to this. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. And I'm especially proud and inspired by all the women who have felt strong enough and empowered enough to speak up and share their personal stories. Each of us in this room are celebrated because of the stories that we tell. And that's U.S. media mogul Oprah Winfrey. Good news for our listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-447-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Following fresh violence between armed groups, the United Nations Mission in the Central African Republic reports that villagers fleeing gunfire and machete attacks began to arrive in the town of Pwau a few days ago, which is in the northwest of the country, close to the border with Chad and Cameroon. At least two people died in the intercommunal violence and the UN said the situation remained tense. Here's Deputy UN spokesperson Farhan Haq briefing journalists at UN headquarters in New York. MINUSCA deployed reinforcements to Pawa to enhance the protection of civilians in the town. Peacekeepers are also patrolling the area to defuse tensions. Deep concerns been expressed by a senior UN official in Somalia following the sudden destruction of more than 23 settlements housing over 4,000 internally displaced people, or IDPs. Deputy Special Representative and Humanitarian Coordinator for Somalia, Peter de Klerk, said the shelters had been destroyed along with humanitarian infrastructure in the Kada district of Banadir in Mogadishu. Many personal items and livelihoods have been lost as the displaced were not given time to collect their belongings before the destruction began. More than two million people are displaced throughout Somalia due to drought and conflict, including one million newly displaced in 2017 alone. Here's Farhan Hack again. An assessment was carried out today to establish the immediate needs of the displaced and where the people have settled. Some partners have already started providing assistance, such as clean water. Additional response activities, including provision of temporary sanitation facilities and distribution of hygiene kits, are in the pipeline. The UN's most senior official in Iraq says he's hoping for a rapid fall in the numbers of Iraqi civilians killed and injured this year following last year's successful military campaign to oust ISIL terrorist fighters. Iraq's second city of Mosul was liberated in 2017 by Iraqi government and coalition forces, along with towns such as Talafar, which had been held by the extremist group since 2014. In December, a total of 69 Iraqi civilians were killed and another 142 wounded due to acts of terrorism, violence and armed conflict, according to figures released by the UN mission in Iraq, UNAMI. Jan Kubish, the Secretary-General's Special Representative, expressed optimism that the numbers would go down fast as much-needed peace and stability returned to Iraq. Matt Wells, United Nations. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. 
Nam kwenye line ya simu hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du soleil. Kia makande embalelo kina Miriam. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbero Munjerere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's 8.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Jalani Tulo. Thank you, Lulu. Making headlines, the former Zimbabwean First Lady Grace Mugabe and her two sons could soon be arrested. Sudanese security agents have seized all copies of six newspapers on Sunday after they criticized the government over soaring bread prices that have almost doubled this week. And finally, U.S. President Donald Trump's former chief strategist Steve Bannon has sought to explain some comments he made to a journalist in a controversial new book about the Trump presidency. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thank you, Shalani. Reports of the imminent arrest of the sons of former Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe are picking up steam. The reports first surfaced through an independent Zimbabwe newspaper citing corruption and illegal gold trading as some of the allegations leveled against the duo. This comes as current President Emerson Nagagwa's government embarks on a major corruption crackdown which has already claimed some senior government officials. Earlier on SAFM, AM Live host Sakina Kamwendo spoke to the SABC's correspondent in Harare, Zimbabwe, Efet Musekiwa. Can you confirm for us uh, whether investigations of corruption and, as we understand, illegal gold trading are being investigated uh, by the Zimbabwean authorities against the Mugabe boys? I can indeed confirm that uh, uh, corruption cases have been um, uh, opened up. Uh, mostly at the present moment, the official uh, position is that it's only for the former or 
uh, former uh, ministers who were in Mugabe's government. We have the minister of uh, former minister of uh, energy has been picked up. He's actually has been charged. Um, he's out on bail. Um, charged with corruption and abuse of office. You have the former um, minister of tourism, who was uh, current, uh, lastly the former minister of foreign affairs. And you see, some of these cases they spill over because the, uh, these former ministers have had business relations with uh, the uh, former president Mugabe's uh, sons or former president Mugabe's wife. So uh, people are speculating that once these ministers are picked up and these cases have been opened, surely it will at some point get to um, you know to affect the the, the, the former president's family. And what about the uh, veracity of reports uh, that there's been an audit of uh, President, former President Robert Mugabe's uh, land and some other properties that he may own? Um, it is again true we have, we have received those reports, and we actually um, there are some senior officials in the in the Ministry of uh, of Lands, which is now uh, headed by uh, the former uh, Air Force Commander, retired uh, Air Marshal President Shiri. They've been directed to do a land audit, and um, this audit affects pretty much everyone. It, it is a known fact, or it, is, um, it, it was known that President Mugabe had more than one farm. He, he had a total of, uh, people assumed that the farms were 14 in total. So this land audit is actually going to bring to the fore the exact number of farms that the Mugabe family owns. Uh, it is also going to bring to the fore the exact size of land that he acquired during his tenure. Uh, most of the, the, the properties or most of the farms were acquired uh, in his wife's um, uh, a name or in his wife's account that she's the one who was trying to grow her empire. You know, she had, they've got a farm where they do their dairy farming, which is in Marshall and Central. They've got a farm where they were now trying to do citrus farming, you know, all these things. So really, we, we still have to wait and find out how much land, uh, after the audit has been conducted, how much land the former first family uh, actually possess. Um, if it, uh, I also understand that uh, President Mnangagwa has told ministers who have been, been implicated in corruption to come clean voluntarily and that they should surrender their ill-gotten wealth. Has there been any developments on this? As of now, no minister or no non um, uh, uh, business executive has come forth. I'm sure you understand that he's given them up to March this year. To he's given a pretty much a moratorium on everyone to say whoever has externalized, whoever has gotten wealth uh, um, illegally or ill-gotten wealth should surrender it before uh, he names and shames them. So really, no no prominent uh, figure has come forward to to. to to surrender or to, to retain anything that they got. But we, it's still early days. We still have, uh, I think, about two months to go. So we wait to see as, um, you know, as this momentum of uh, high-profile figures, uh, as, as, they, as, as the Anti-Corruption Commission keeps um, uh, arresting and keeps uh, uh, taking some of these officials to court, I think it will trigger uh, more, or it will show a sign of seriousness on the Nangago government, and we'll see uh, a lot of people begin to start to uh, surrender their work. But as of now, no one has actually done that yet.
But what about uh, those uh, within Mnangagwa's inner circle? Because uh, people are saying, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the new uh, administration is talking about government's image being tarnished. Uh, but of course, they were part of previous administrations as well. Yes, I think that's, um, you know, in December during uh, the one of the central committee um, uh, central committee meetings of the ZANU-PF party, Munangago actually called on everyone, uh, and he was addressing the central committee when he told them that he is giving them a three-month um, moratorium. So I think um, maybe they will hit the call, but really no one at the present moment on the ground no one has come forward to to surrender anything. So we will still we will have to see what his next move will be once the moratorium expires. But he did make the call during um, or addressing his uh, people within his uh, his circle. That was the SABC's correspondent in Harare, Zimbabwe, Efet Musekiwa, speaking to SAFM AM Live host Sakina Kamwendo. It's 8.37 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. A national chairperson of South Africa's ruling African National Congress, Gwede Mandashe, has called on the governing party's new top six leadership to work together and unite the party. The ANC elected new leadership during its 54th national conference last month. The conference came at a time when the party was deeply divided over factions created by leadership preferences. Speaking during the wreath-laying ceremony of late party leader Oliver Tambo, Mandashe said the new leadership must live up to the expectations of party members. Amos Pajo has more. It was Mandash's first public appearance since taking over as the party's national chairperson after serving two terms as its secretary general. He acknowledges that the party was fractured by a bitter leadership contestation in the build-up to its 54th National Congress last month. We're 3-3 in the top six. Now, all of us, we must disabuse ourselves of that We are a team of six. We are a team of six elected by delegates of the ANC to its national conference. Delegates practically said to us, we hate slate politics. We want a leadership that will unify the ANC and we must actually rise to the occasion. Mantashe also dismissed any suggestion of recalling President Jacob Zuma as a head of state. This is in the wake of reports that there are fresh attempts to remove President Zuma from office. Zuma is going nowhere. No, it's not his call. Weakness of the last two, three years has been personification of politics. We must talk African National Congress. And as we analyze the ANC, there is... Nothing called a no-go area. 
And I, I want comrades to disabuse themselves of abusing Zuma for their own purpose. Because it is dangerous to the movement, it hurts comrade Zuma. Mantasha has also lashed out at internal weaknesses such as the youth league that is entangled in factional politics as well as the ANC that appears to be synonymous to corruption. He called on leaders to emulate Oliver Tambo by remaining selfless servants of the people. Many people don't know that in Rogoro Tambo say, you are so critical of us, I am resigning. Uh, that conference had to be adjourned and J.B. Marx went to him and persuaded him, you can't resign, it's a wrong moment. And he came back. That is the call on you and me, Paul. That's a call on you and me. Uh, if, if we can't do the right thing, we must offer to resign. And if we can't do that, we're failing Oliver Tambo. Meanwhile, the Tambo family has lauded the party for celebrating his contribution to the liberation struggle in various ways. Tambo's grandchild, O.R. Jr., conveyed the family's appreciation. From the Tambo family, we believe it is of an utmost um, honor to witness the year of 2017 from how various people have decided to honor Oliver Tambo. From my perspective, I have seen a great many museums opened, paintings displayed, rallies, marches, parades, everything of the sort dedicated to my grandfather. From the eyes of the youth and from what I believe is intercom, definitely would be in terms of education. The party's officials will in the next coming days visit graves of former party presidents as part of celebrating the ANC's formation. I'm Amos Paro in Wadville, east of Johannesburg. South Africa's parliament is to start implementing the Constitutional Court ruling to provide for the process and procedure of impeaching the president. The subcommittee on the review of the rules of parliament will meet on, on Thursday and Friday this week to complete the process started some time ago to review the rules. Joseph Musia has more. In a case brought by the EFF and others, the Constitutional Court found that the National Assembly had failed to put in place procedures and processes to impeach the president after he was found to have failed to uphold the constitution regarding non-security upgrades at his home in Gandhla. The court ordered Parliament to, without delay, create rules to regulate the impeachment process. Parliament spokesperson Moloto Motapo says the process shouldn't take too long to complete. The process had already started as part of the holistic overview of the rules or review of the rules. And uh, this is one aspect that uh, had been hanging. And uh, in the light of uh, the court order saying this process must be done without delay. Members of the subcommittee on review of rules have been requested to return to Parliament for these two days to ensure that that task is completed. The chairperson of the subcommittee, Richard Ndakane, says he expects to complete the drafting of the rules by March. He says the subcommittee is clear on what it wants to propose, but it is for political parties to comment on the proposal. General will depend really how fast the parties in Parliament comment on our proposal. I think now after the court, surely many parties went to court. I think they will come then and sit in a committee and then finalize the issue as soon as possible. I wish to finalize this issue by, by March, really. Finalize it in terms of the rule. And then once we, once we finalize it in terms of the rules, then other procedures and processes will be political issues of political parties. 
DA Chief Whip John Sienazen says it's a pity that it has once again taken the Constitutional Court to guide Parliament on how to do its work. The truth of the matter is that these rules should have been passed when the National Assembly did the original review of the National Assembly rules. Instead, at the time, it was rushed through so that the Speaker would have the power to uh, expel the EFF from the House in terms of the rules. And this is what happens when you rush things and don't finish the process properly. Uh, Nonetheless, we're very glad that the Constitutional Court has directed Parliament uh, to go back and draft these rules now. It's just a pity that once again the Constitutional Court has had to step in and do the work of Parliament and to oblige the presiding officers uh, to fulfil their obligations to ensure the National Assembly acts in line with the Constitution. The UDM's Mabayom Zikwankwa says the party will take part in the process but disputes the claim that the review of the rules was already happening. If the African National Congress wants to do this review properly to look at impeachment, what should happen is that they must not continue to mislead the public by saying that a process to try and improve the rules so far as impeachment is concerned had already begun sometime last year, long before the Constitutional Court's judgment, which took place a couple of days ago. It cannot be because all of us as chief whips would be aware of that if that was the case. So we're saying, let's do this thing in good faith, guided obviously by the Constitutional Court judgment. And that report by Joseph Musia. It is 8.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. The Zimbabwe Revenue Authority, Zimra, says it exceeded its 2017 gross annual revenue targets by 17% on the back of robust strategies that were implemented to enhance revenue collections. Some of the measures implemented by Zimra include enhanced operational efficiency, fighting against corruption and intensified taxpayer education and registration programs among a battery of measures. According to Zimra, 19,414 small and medium enterprises had registered with the revenue collector by the end of October 2017, a move which also improved revenue collections. The record-breaking revenue collection, which is the highest in four years, can also be attributed to enhanced audits. Angola's depleting foreign reserves have prompted the central bank to pursue a more flexible exchange rate strategy. That's a comment made by regulators a day after plans were unveiled to restructure foreign debt and allow looser trading of the Kwanzaa. The central bank said it would shift from a currency peg to a trading band, which would keep the Kwanzaa's value against the U.S. dollar within an as-yet-defined range. Economists estimate the new currency plan could result in the Kwanzaa effectively devaluing by 30%. Zambia shot three of South African retailer ShopRite's Hungry Lion fast food restaurants after their food tested positive for the bacterium that causes cholera. Zambia is struggling to contain an outbreak of the disease, which has killed 51 people and made more than 2,000 others sick in the capital, Lusaka. The outbreak was initially linked to contaminated water from shallow wells, but investigations indicated that contaminated food was the main culprit. 
South Africa's Agro-Western Cape says it is worried that some farmers in the province could default on their loans due to the ongoing drought. It says the drought has made it difficult for them to generate enough income to service their loans with commercial banks. Agro-Western Cape CEO Carl Opperman says grain farmers spend between 283 and 485 U.S. dollars per hectare of land on average. He says in some parts of the province, farmers have had no harvest. What is the next effect? The next effect is the production units have got short-term, medium-term, long-term loans. No income. How are they going to pay their payments? Some of these grain farmers in the, in the, in the, in the western side of the Cape, the third year they haven't got a good crop. The, there's some areas here that there was no crop harvested. How are they going to satisfy the needs for the banks and finally, some investors are betting governments around the world will find a way to start taxing meat production as they aim to improve public health and heat emissions targets set in the Paris Climate Agreement. Socially focused investors are starting to push companies to diversify into plant protein or even suggest livestock producers use a shadow price of meat similar to an internal carbon price to estimate future costs. Meat could encounter the same fate as tobacco, carbon and sugar, which are currently taxed in one 180, 60 and 25 jurisdictions around the world respectively according to a report from investor group the Farm Animal Investment Risk and Return Initiative. Now for a quick look at your financial indicators. The US dollar is trading at 12.30 to the South African rent, 968 Botswana Pula and 10.04 Zambian Kwacha. It's at 76 pence to the British pound and 83 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is at $1,320 and platinum at $966 an ounce, while the price of print crude oil is at $67.78 per barrel. That's how it's looking at this hour. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, intermittent rain throughout the day ruled out play on the third day of the first test match between the Proteas and India at Newlands in Cape Town. Weather permitting... Play will start at 10.30 Central African time this morning with extra time to be made up during the day. Ticket Pro will refund everyone who paid via credit card, EFT or SnapScan via the Ticket Pro system. This will be done from tomorrow. Any person who paid cash or credit card at an outlet or cash at the stadium will have to take their tickets to the stadium for a refund. These refunds will be done from the B-Gate ticket office from the 10th of January during normal business hours. Even the Springbok 7's team has to successfully defend their World Series championship. They will have to build depth within their squad, according to former Blitzborger star Beck and assistant coach Vuyo Zanga. Zanga says that the Blitzborger are by far the most experienced side on the HSBC World Rugby 7 circuit, but is concerned that if they should lose some of the big-name players, coach Neil Powell could find himself in a bit of trouble. 
At the moment, they're supposed to because uh, they've got 459 tournaments, which is any, which is the most that anyone else. So, at this point in time, they should. But the moment they lose Yabelo, the moment they lose Kwaha Smith, the moment um, Tim Agaba goes back to 15s, that that's going to be very challenging. So it's all, it's all about the depth at the moment. Are they going to have enough depth to to keep the season open, uh, going and, and competing well? That's going to be the question that uh, obviously Neil and these guys are working towards. And obviously, looking at Cecil Africa, Ruskus Beckman, and uh, and Benko Dupree, if any of those two guys get injured, then there's trouble. There's trouble in the mix. So they need to make sure that the depth is actually as as good as those guys who can step in. And in local football news, last week South Africa's Kaiser Chiefs announced that they had acquired the skills of Cabello Matlasela from Bluefontein Celtic. This was a trade that saw defender Lorenzo Godinho join Celtic on a one-year loan deal. The loan deal surprised many football fans, but Godinho says he doesn't understand why it's all so shocking. Since joining Chiefs in 2013, Godinho made more than 50 appearances and scored seven goals. He made his debut for Celtic this past Sunday when they beat Golden Arrows 2-0 at Dr. Petros Mulemela Stadium. Although having only trained with the team for a few days before making his debut on Sunday, Godinho says he's happy for the opportunity he was trusted with. And finally, with golf news, world number one Dustin Johnson powered to an eight-shot triumph at the USPGA Tour Tournament of Champions in Hawaii on Sunday. Johnson's masterful display off the tee at the par 73 plantation course at Kapolua included a near hole-in-one at the par 4 12 hole where his drive left him a 6-inch tap in for eagle. He cut it an 8 under par 65 for 24 under 268 and his 17th USPGA Tour triumph seemingly impervious to the wind and the intermittent rain throughout the round. That's your spot news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa Zulu King Goodwill Zuletini has challenged South Africa's ruling ANC members and leaders to deal with divisions. 31,000 Grade 1 and 8 applicants are yet to be placed in Gauteng schools and the UN agency has registered thousands of refugees arriving in Chad. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Ronald Piri and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Our taking us to the top of the hour for the news is AKA with the KFA song. Running out of things I prove myself. Way too busy winning, I'ma lose myself. Every day they go hate on